Hey, what's up everybody? This is Austin Haynes with the Waking Justice Project. In today's podcast, we'll interview a true revolutionary who's making evolutionary change in their community. Resilient communities are the core building blocks of a just and sustainable global society. And the foundation of a resilient community is a just and sustainable local food economy. It's why the global revolution starts at home, at local farms and community gardens, at grocery co-ops and local food hubs, in your own garden, in your kitchen, and on your plate. The local food supply chain is the foundation of a self-reliant community, and resilient, self-reliant communities are the core building blocks of a just and sustainable new society, a new social system that will make this existing system of corruption obsolete. That is the revolution we seek. The real revolution is a strategic, non-violent revolution. It builds self-reliance and community resilience. The real revolution is a local revolt. My guest today is an attorney, community organizer, and former mayoral candidate of Charleston, South Carolina. But she's also the project organizer of a nonprofit based in Charleston called the Stone Soup Collective, and her passion is food justice. Welcome to the podcast, Renee Orth. Thank you, Austin. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I just wanted to start out today by asking you, what inspired you to start the Stone Soup Collective? And could you tell us about the origins of the name? I'd be delighted to. So I have a small business in LA. I started about six years ago called the Venice Beach Salad Company. And we were making organic salads, uh, basically on subscription basis. So, you know, wealthy people would subscribe and we would deliver these delicious salads fresh um, to their doorstep. And as much as I loved uh, feeding people healthy food and, you know, one of my motivations was to encourage people to adopt a plant-based diet, making it delicious and easy to do so. Uh, it was a lot of work. Um, for not all that much money. And so I, I discovered that my favorite part of that business was when I had extra salad and I would take it down to the boardwalk near my place in Venice Beach and feed my unsheltered neighbors and how many of them were so grateful to get real food. And so when I ended up in Charleston after my partner took a job here, I was you know, doing some soul searching, trying to figure out you know, what, what my next move was going to be. And I kind of decided that, that food for profit, you know, as a business wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, signed up to take the South Carolina bar thinking maybe I'd be a lawyer again. Um, and ultimately decided that I wanted to do food, but I wanted to do it uh, on a nonprofit basis. And so the idea of the Stone Soup Collective, partly inspired by conversations with a couple of friends of mine, uh, the idea of doing a buy one, give one uh, soup nonprofit. Because one of the things I'm very passionate about is figuring out how we can use commerce to create a better world. That this idea that we have nonprofits on one side, for-profits on the other side, the government somewhere in the middle, um, and that this is the best we can do, I think is, you know, it's the best we, we could do in the past with what we had, but we have so much, so many more tools available to us. Um, so figuring out ways that the community can really support itself uh, on an ongoing basis. And so that's how the Stone Soup Collective was born. Uh, but it was, it was one 
idea among many ideas that I have. And so I decided that if I was going to do this and I was like, I, I really want to do this one, I needed to throw my hat over the fence, so to speak, and find some other people to do it with me, some collaborators. And so I went to the Unitarian Universalist Church uh, here in Charleston. I'd been, I think once or twice, I, I figured that was a good place to find uh, my collaborators. And I went there and during the service, they had a minute of, of silence, so just a meditation. And I'd been trying to come up with a name for this thing and was thinking like rainbow stuff, just, you know, lots of hippie dippy California things. And um, in this minute, I, I asked uh, for the name to come to me. And just a, a few seconds later, the Stone Soup Collective, which is totally different from any of the names I'd been considering, popped into my head. I was like, that's, that's it. Um, and just in case some of your listeners or viewers don't know the story of the stone soup, uh, that's, if you, if you don't know the story, the name makes no sense. But once you know it, it makes a lot of sense. So there's, uh, actually versions of this story from all over the world, but the one I tell involves a couple of, of travelers who are penniless and have no food and they come to a village and they're very hungry and they start going door to door and they're turned away and they're turned away asking for food. And finally, they come to the last door, and instead of asking for food, they ask the villager if they could borrow a pot of water and a stone. And the villagers are a little suspicious and incredulous. They say, well, I guess so, but what are you going to do with it? So, well, we're going to make our famous stone soup, and when we're done, we'll share it with you. And so the, the villager you know, is a little curious, and so follows them to the little village square where the travelers make a little campfire and scrub the stone, and they're being very ceremonious about this as the other villagers circle around a little suspicious of these strangers and they drop the stone in the water and they they're telling the villagers as they arrive what what they're doing and a couple minutes goes by and one of the travelers tastes the soup and he says you know the soup is coming together quite nicely but what make it really good is an onion does anybody have an onion and so one of the villagers says you know i have an onion in my cellar that probably should be eaten soon let me go get it and so it goes, you know, carrots and leeks and potatoes and all these wonderful things are added into the soup pot and the whole village and the travelers eat together in celebrations. So friendships are created, you know, wonderful soup is, is made and shared, you know, when, uh, you know, the villagers individually may not have had what was necessary to make a delicious soup. Um, so just so many of, uh, of the layers and the meanings and the, the intentions of the Stone Soup Collective are encapsulated in that story. So that's, that's our name. And uh, yeah, we've been um, operating here in Charleston for just over three years now. Right on. So I'm going to tell you what's really cool about that from my journey. There used to be a kitchen in Asheville called the Stone Soup. And this was when Asheville was a small town. And for the listeners out there, that's where I'm from, Asheville, North Carolina. And Asheville used to be like, there was nothing downtown when I was growing up. But there was this one restaurant called Stone Soup. So I've, I've always remembered this name for whatever reason. My parents would take me there. And it's just always played like a role in my life. This little restaurant that was like the first restaurant downtown when I was growing up. So that's really cool. And what I take away from that story is like, you got to start somewhere, right? Like, even if you have nothing, you have to start the process, right? Yeah. And, and figure out how to other people to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, I think is the most important thing. Exactly. Together, together, we are so powerful by ourselves. We're, you know, not so much. 
Yeah, that's so true. So um, on your website, it says your mission is to align the efforts of the low country to nourish your community through a buy one, give one plant-based soup collective. So can you just tell us how that works? Well, I can tell you how it was working before COVID hit because <laughs> we sure. definitely um, adapted our, our operations to the, the current crisis. Um, so we uh, make soup twice a week. One day we make it in a DHEC permitted kitchen, which is required uh, in order to legally sell the soup. And so most of the soup we make, uh, usually on Mondays, um, gets uh, sold. We have, uh, oh, probably 25 or so people who buy on a regular basis. And I have them on a, not exactly a group tech is, text it's a, a text message app that'll send them out a message that says what kind of soup we have and they respond and tell me what they want it's usually just two kinds um, a week and uh, yeah and then I deliver soup um, usually on Monday afternoons and Tuesday mornings and then on Friday we make uh, we gather a, a bigger group of people in a church kitchen in downtown Charleston and we make just as much soup as we can in the you know five or so hours that we uh, I guess it's more like four hours that we cook together, um, and that soup gets distributed to to various uh, other organizations that help us distribute it. We try our best not to duplicate efforts, so I'm I'm a huge fan of of collaboration and uh, symbiosis is the word I like to think of. Uh, so that's what we do. We also have a independent chapter at the College of Charleston. Um, which we're really excited about because that is part of one of our missions is to uh, encourage and support other groups to do the same thing. You know, any place you've got a, a kitchen and some uh, helping hands um, and a little bit of money to buy ingredients, you can make delicious soup for not very much money, delicious, healthy soup. Um, and so that's, uh, that's what we do in normal times. Uh, during COVID, we've actually uh, switched to a decentralized um, plan. So we've got a lot of uh, volunteers who normally make soup collectively. They're making soup in their own homes. Um, and, uh, so we're not, we're not selling soup right now. We're, we've just switched to completely donated soup in, in part because the need is there. And thankfully, uh, money is, we get, we've been getting enough money and, uh, in-kind donations from other, uh, farmers and such that we're keeping the soup flowing. Cool. So the soups mainly go to, uh, senior citizens. Is that right? And, and some yeah. kids? Um, mostly to seniors. And so we have a couple of low-income senior housing developments that we bring soup to. Um, we've also been during COVID uh, branching out a little bit more for our unsheltered neighbors uh, because it's easy and a lot of the food outreach that's generally being done in our community isn't necessarily sensitive to the fact that not everybody has a, a kitchen or a refrigerator. And so we're just trying to fill that need. Very cool. Right on. So Another thing on your website that I found really interesting was a section that says, we believe that a better world starts with our community and we think it makes sense to start with what we eat. So I wanted to ask you, why is what we eat so important and how does it affect our local community? Yeah, well, that's um, really one of the reasons why I focus, well, I have the salad business in LA and now the soup collective here is because I when I think about the state of the world and where we're going, I don't see any um, significant material improvements being made to the, the state of humanity and the state of our planet until and unless and until we get our food system right. Uh, you know, so much of the, the climate crisis and the ecological devastation um, and our, our unhealthfulness, uh, particularly in America, is all based on a, a foundation of the standard American diet. And so, you know, you think about the, um, 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that bottom rung of, you know, food, water, shelter, uh, you know, the very basic things that are essential to survival and, and food being the one that, um, you know, for a lot of people is a struggle to even meet that, that need. And so, um, you know, the Stone Soup Collective, part of our mission is actually to, to get people to, to shift their um, thinking about uh, food and dietary choices and give people an experience of eating really delicious uh, plant-based soup that, you know, at the, when they're done with it, they feel good um, and they've enjoyed it. And it's, you know, not, it's not a sacrifice. Um, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Very cool. So where do you source your ingredients from? Um, I know you try to source from a lot of local farmers, right? And, and support the local food economy. So how does that work? Yeah. So, um, we get, uh, during, again, pre pre COVID times, uh, we get a regular donation from Rosebank farms out on John's Island. We also, uh, do a little bit of, uh, exchanging with uh, Joseph Fields, which is an organic farm on John's Island. Um, we actually get a lot of our produce through Grow Food, which is our wholesale food hub, um, which is a, a, it's just such a fantastic organization. They're actually a nonprofit um, arm of the Coastal Conservation League, which is a local environmental group that I think about seven or eight years ago decided that you know they needed a focus on the local food system, and so uh, founded the founded Grow Food, and so they're basically a distribution hub for local. Um, local produce and other local farm products. And so we, we very often will um, buy just from them directly because it's, it's easy and convenient. Um, and again, they're kind of a model of, uh, I expect, I don't know specifically, I haven't looked at their financials, but I expect they're fairly self-sustaining, you know, even though they're a nonprofit. So that idea of like, we can have an enterprise um, doing commerce that, you know, pays people a, a good wage and that supports the community and that you don't need to siphon off extra money to shareholders to make it a viable business. You know, so, um, so it's a really cool, uh, initiative. Cool. So obviously like we want to make, um, local food economy, the key to local, you know, uh, resilient communities. So why can you just tell us why you choose to get your food locally rather than just asking like a big grocery store to give you leftovers um you know what i mean why why get it from your local community um there in charleston well i absolutely believe that local food is the the future it has to be the future the future of anything that's worth and that's not to say that all of our food is going to be local like you know we we use beans and rice that you know come from all over the world i'm sure so it's um there's not an all or nothing there and um you know and if somebody has, uh, you know, some, some food that uh, needs to be eaten and it was bought at the grocery store and it's still usable, like we're not going to, you know, turn our noses up with that either. But in terms of um, our vision and our mission, supporting local agriculture, uh, highlighting the importance to our, um, to our community of supporting local agriculture um, is essential, especially, you know, during COVID, we're, we're getting to experience how fragile our global food systems can be. Um, and so the, the, the cost of the transportation um, and the, I would say also the kind of um, human and even spiritual cost of being so um, disconnected from where our food comes from. 
you know, so being able to, to root ourselves in the, the bioregions that we inhabit and, and develop that connection, I think is important. And it's one of the silver linings of COVID is seeing so many people uh, starting to grow their own food, you know, that, that gardening, I would say, you know, I would include uh, gardens in the definition of farms, you know, they're just mini farms uh, and seeing so many people take a passion in that. And I, um, unfortunately, I've been a little, little too busy to, <laughs> to grow my own food and having just moved, but I'm um, looking forward to, to engaging in some, um, some gardening as well. Sure. Yeah. So that is a cool thing about COVID, right? Like one of the things that it's changed um, for all of us that I see is that people are getting more interested in gardening. They want to grow their own food. You know, like we don't want to have to go to the grocery store all the time anymore. And it would be best to obviously not have to go to the grocery store at all. So what else have you noticed in this, uh, you know, COVID-19 world that, that we live in, are there any other like cool trends you've noticed that are actually helping us move towards a more sustainable world? Um, it's certainly the food one. And, you know, this is more just reading it on the internet, but how, because of the meat and dairy shortages, you know, that, that people are shifting to actually trying more of the plant-based alternatives to meat. So that's, that's exciting. And I'm hopeful that once people um, have the experience of that and that it tastes good and that they feel better afterwards that that a lot of those habits are going to stick. Um, one of the the projects that I had been working on in the pre-COVID, because, uh, you know, Earth Fair started in, in Asheville. Um, the corporation went into bankruptcy at the beginning of this year. And we have a, um, an Earth Fair here in Charleston that was really, was really our only health food alternative to Whole Foods. Um, and so when they went out of business, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm I don't really want to go to Whole Foods. <laughs> you know, not that I, not that I never do. They have certain things that I really want. I go there. Um, so I was actually gathering people in the community to talk about starting a grocery cooperative. You know, something that had been percolating in my mind, and I've been talking to people for about a year or so here in Charleston. Um, and then COVID hit, and I was like, okay, this probably isn't a good time to be starting anything. And then it turned out that this reestablished Earth Fair is um, actually got the um, got the space, and so Earth Fair is going to be reopening here in the summertime. And so we're we're still figuring out like how um, you know how we feel about the the co-op initiative. But one of the things that I'm really excited to be um, exploring is how we might be able to leverage the fact that so many people are shifting to um, food delivery. Um, you know that there's that these new habits are being formed that can actually create opportunities for, for, for example, with the co-op, a, a platform a grocery cooperative. So just having a warehouse where we congregate a lot of local um, specialty foods, local, locally produced farm stuff, also adding some, you know, some of the essentials so we can still be a one-stop shop for people, but not having a brick and mortar and just doing a, a delivery that's a, a co-op. So stakeholders, the farmers can own a part of it, the delivery drivers can own a part of it, the customers own a part of it. Um, but that we can actually leverage these shifts in, in habits and this kind of deeper understanding of the importance of local, um, uh, local food production to, you know, create a, a regenerative cooperative um, business. And so um, I'm actually taking an online course being put on by the new school in New York and Mondragon, which is, the, you know, I don't know how many billions of dollars a, a year they do the Spanish um, cooperative. It's been around for over a hundred years now. Um, so they're putting on a, an eight week uh, platform co-op online course. Uh, so 
uh, hopefully I'll be, um, yeah, figuring out if that's a possibility here for Charleston. It's the plan anyway. I wanted to ask too, you sent me that, uh, invitation to what you were talking about. The, uh, Oh, the platform co-op. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with that? So it's, um, it's $150 for an eight week course. Um, they're looking for about five hours a week of time commitment. So, you know, not, uh, too onerous. Um, and so the first half of it is, uh, just, you know, information about platform co-ops and I think we'll do some case studies. Um, and the second half is, uh, they're pairing up, well, not pairing, but, um, they're connecting us with local cooperative organizations to kind of learn from, uh, their experience. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, they put it together as an emergency response to go to COVID recognizing that, you know, as, um, as our economy is kind of breaking because of the stay home orders and the virus that it's, there's, it's actually opening up opportunities, uh, for, for a shift. And so we, we know the big corporations are going to be moving in on this space. You know, they're already, uh, um, taking advantage of a lot of it. Uh, and so, you know, the, the platform co-op. So for example, you know, a, a community, um, starting its own Uber and Lyft version of Uber and Lyft that is owned and run by the drivers. Um, is an obvious example of something that like, yeah, we should be able to do that. There's no reason these huge corporations should have the monopoly or duopoly um, and squeeze the fuck out of the people who are actually doing the damn work. Like, we can, exactly. you know. And then um, also the possibility um, of, I actually watched a short video about um, there's some bike courier uh, co-ops that have started all over Europe and they, um, they're networking with each other, you know? So the idea of it's still grassroots, it's still community um, run, but it's, uh, it benefits from the networked effect of, especially for things like a grocery co-op, for example, being able to, to um, plug into a, 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 you know, a buyer network that can, you know, buy in bigger volume, for example. So um, as, uh, as I mentioned, the, the idea that I'm excited about is possibly um, doing a platform co-op here that is uh, food, food oriented, local food um, that might be able to leverage on the fact that people are getting used to this um, ordering and delivering and, um, and also a new awareness of the importance of local food. I always try to support the local food co-ops like when I'm traveling and even here in town that I prefer to shop there, like you said, as opposed to a big grocery conglomerate. But um, that's really awesome that you can do it without having a brick and mortar. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible um, you know, because the, the ordering online and delivery is, I mean, it's what a lot of people are doing. And there are models of this, not necessarily cooperative models, but enterprises. There's Good Eggs in San Francisco that's kind of like a online delivery um, kind of farmer's market type thing. So like, Maybe we can do that and uh, incorporate the cooperative ownership structure. Very cool. So mm -hmm. where else do you see the Stone Soup Collective in the future? Is that mainly what you're going for? Like, what's your grand plan for the organization? Um, yeah, we're going to keep making soup, but we're also uh, spearheading a project this summer starting in three weeks from tomorrow. I'm kind of starting the countdown because it's, um, it's a pretty big uh, shift but um, still totally in alignment with our values. We're coordinating or collaborating with a couple of other nonprofits. So Destiny Community Cafe is our pay what you can restaurant in North Charleston and the Pink House Community Resource Center, which is in um, uh, West Ashley, a neighborhood of, of Charleston. And the Pink House does a, a um, summer camp 
every summer for the kids in the neighborhood. And so as part of Stone Soup Collective, I was, I volunteered there last year. I'm just talking to kids about nutrition, you know, doing a little bit of um, cooking together. And I, the, the meals the kids were being fed were from the school district through the federally funded summer feeding program, which has a, a, a wonderful mission of making sure kids get fed uh, when school's not in session. Um, but I got to see what they were being fed and it was hot dogs and Doritos, Pop-Tarts and Fruit Loops. And I, I just could not believe what I was seeing, but this is yeah. like what, what the government is feeding kids. And, um, you know, I, my head exploded a little bit and turned, you know, looked around and then I was like, all right, so what, um, what could I bring to this equation that might be able to, to shift this? And so this year, uh, this summer, we're doing a pilot project um, collaboratively. We're going to be feeding uh, 50 kids um, at the Pink House uh, breakfast and lunch five days a week for eight weeks and another 50 kids lunch at a Destiny Community Cafe, um, all plant-based, as much local as um, is, is financially feasible for us. We're still fundraising to, uh, to uh, fund the effort. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of a whole new endeavor, uh, obviously with a lot of um, overlap with Stone Soup Collective's general mission in terms of plant-based and local. And, you know, it's going to be um, almost entirely volunteer driven. So uh, really excited about that. Um, a little bit nervous. It's uh, definitely, like I said, a kind of um, a, a new uh, undertaking with a, a different set of, uh, of challenges. Um, trying to figure out where that line is, you know, of, of, of healthfulness, especially for kids that are used to being, you know, fed Pop-Tarts and Fruit Loops. Uh, so, you know, trying to figure out how to make healthy food that, um, that uh, is, is going to be enjoyable for them. So we will see how that goes. Well, right on. That's huge. I mean, that's amazing. You know, if people can help their communities eat better and eat more healthy, because, you know, a lot, one of the things that we talk about is like, food deserts, and in, especially in um, big cities, people are not only hungry, they're hungry for nutrition. Even yeah. people who are full are still hungry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they, they need, their bodies need substance. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think that that's one of the reasons, I mean, there's obviously many reasons obesity is such an epidemic in our country, but I think when if you don't feed your body the nutrients it needs, it's going to tell you to keep eating, you know, hoping that you accidentally come across something that has the, the vitamins and the, you know, micronutrients that you need. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that this will be the beginning. This is really, um, we're conceiving of this as a pilot project. So really just kind of proof of concept and developing, you know, as we get feedback from the kids over the summer to kind of develop a menu that we can then say to the school district and the other um, organizations that are part of the, the federal program, um, like, look, you know, these are, these are um, recipes that kids enjoy that are, you know, within the financial um, realm of, of feasibility for the, the um, financial backing that the federal program offers. Um, and, you know, that, that we, we did this on a small scale, let's, let's try to scale it up. Uh, so hopefully, um, fingers crossed that that will, uh, yeah, that'll happen. Cool. So I wanted to kind of get off topic for a minute and just read another little section from your website. This one just really resonated with me on a, on a different level because, uh, it's not business talk. This is a bit more spiritual, a bit more fluffy, but, uh, <laughs> it says, we believe that by making kindness a regular, convenient, delicious, and life-affirming choice, we can reconnect or deepen our connection 
with what it means to be a meaningful part of a vibrant community. So that just really resonated with me, and I just wanted to uh, see if you could expound on it a little more. Yeah, um, I think particularly uh, for American society, which is the one I know best, because that's where I grew up, um, that you know, our dominant culture, our mainstream culture is kind of a, really like a collective psychosis. Um, and when I think about the, the changes that we've seen over the last hundred years and the ways we've gone wrong, not that we were necessarily particularly right before that, but there's <laughs> sure. a different level of, of craziness um, and, different, and different manifestations, but that um, the commodification of food, I think, um, plays a big part in why we're so disconnected from nature and from each other uh, that we don't, um, you know, we don't eat together on a regular basis in general. You know, like most people, I don't know about your family, but anytime I get together with my extended family for any length of time, uh, the, uh, our activities start to revolve around food, around cooking together, around shopping for the food, about, you know, just, it's, um, it's this uh, experience that we share that gives us joy, that um, can connect us back to the earth and that everybody has in common, you know, we all need to eat. And so I do think that the, you know, in terms of, you know, the environment in terms of our, our physical health, there's all sorts of reasons to focus on food, but I really do believe that, that soup, um, not soup, <laughs> well, food in general, but soup in particular, I like to call it uh, that, that we're after the, the super glue that can bring people together and reweave community. Um, but that, uh, there's immense um, psychic healing and collective healing that can happen uh, through food. You know, the word companion actually means to eat bread together from French. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. And it's, it's uh, yeah, bread in French, so companion, to eat bread together. So it's, you know, it's built in to the kind of language and the metaphors we use to understand uh, what it is to be um, in relationship with people um and in, in right relationship and so um you know and this idea of making giving something that is just a, a natural everyday part of what we do and that's um part of the idea of creating businesses that are that are cooperative businesses that have um you know that their aim isn't to maximize shareholder value their aim is to maximize prosperity for all of the stakeholders um, and part of that prosperity is a, a resilient connected community um, and so that's, yeah, that, that is one of the reasons why we focus on food. That's so cool. Well, I had no idea that companion means to share bread with someone. But that's amazing, though, because like your best companions, you know, like that's kind of that's how you become companions. You know, exactly. if you haven't yeah. shared a meal, then, you know. Yeah. You, gotta... you think about you know, the um I can find all sorts of reasons why the holiday of Thanksgiving is uh, is problematic, but the the idea of you know the the natives uh, of America actually sharing food with the pilgrims, you know that it was this um, overture of of peace and, and community that in it in and of itself is a beautiful thing, um, and I think is uh, deeply human you know, that sharing food is the way for us to say, like, I, I see you and I, um, I value you. Sure. So speaking of that, 
I really want to uh, just attempt to get the, the point across to people listening that we can address hunger in our own communities. And so I want to ask you, for the people out there who are thinking like, you know, I want to do this for myself. I would love to feed people in my community. Can you give them any tips? Like how would people start addressing hunger in their community? Um, well, you can certainly reach out to me at the Stone Soup Collective and I will uh, do everything I can to connect you with the, the learnings and wisdom that we have uh, accumulated over the last few years. Um, certainly growing, growing food is absolutely essential to food sovereignty, to resilient communities. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of front yard gardens. I think they can bring people together in a powerful way. Uh, schoolyards, churchyards, you know, we don't need abandoned lots, you know, that we have to buy. We can, there's, you know, anywhere there's a lawn where their kids aren't playing on it on a regular basis, you know, plant food. Um, and then I, I expect the experience we have here in Charleston is similar to um, other places that um, a lot of the food pantries are forced to, I shouldn't say forced, but they get these commodity boxes and they, um, you know, a lot of the food pantries have moved away from just giving, obviously COVID is a slightly different situation, but in general, they allow their clients to choose what they want to take. Um, and so the food pantries, and here anyway, end up with just tons of brown rice, uh, canned garbanzo beans, canned kidney beans, dried chickpeas, dried split, you know, lentils, all of these um, foods that uh, are perfect ingredients for soup. And so in terms of reaching out to the food pantries that might have these um, issues, and we actually have um, the church that we normally cook in, uh, you know, when there isn't a, a deadly virus around, um, they have a little refrigerator. So we actually turn their uh, food pantry stuff into soup that then they can give out to their clients as, um, as soup that's ready to eat. Um, so there are a lot of these kind of um, commodities that are, that are out there that need, they need to be used. They're gonna go bad if we don't cook them. And so that's a, a resource to pull from. Um, a lot of churches have big kitchens. So, uh, you know, reaching out to churches uh, and also for volunteers and, um, you know, just start small. You can do it, you know, once a month and see how it goes. And, uh, you kind of cultivate as we have at Stone Soup Collective over the years have cultivated, you know, these groups of uh, kind of teams of soup makers that are our friends, you know, uh, we sometimes go out to concerts together. It becomes like a social, um, uh, it, it becomes a resilient community, you know, that the Stone Soup Collective is like this little seed of a, of a resilient community that wouldn't have existed if we didn't, you know, make soup together. And so I would say just, you know, start simple, um, find a couple of others who are inspired by this idea and just get going and start sharing it with people. People want to help, um, especially in this time of, of difficulty. People want to contribute. And so if you can create um, kind of just simple ways for people to do that, there's, there's nothing we can't do. Yeah. So what I really like about what y'all do is, like you said, like a lot of people, they end up with these ingredients, you know, like even me, I'm guilty of this at my own, my own house. I'll have like rice, chickpeas, like all these different dried beans and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when they're sitting there, you know, um, in their individual packaging, sometimes <laughs> it's overwhelming to be like, what am I going to make out of this? <laughs> you know, like the beauty of what you do is that you're helping people get started by throwing all those ingredients in a pot and making something that is delicious and is already pre-made. Yeah. 
So that's huge. Um, and then the other thing that I kind of took from what you just said is like, it kind of starts, I guess, with a shift in mindset, right? Like you have to understand, you have to recognize hunger for what it is. Uh, just to reiterate again, you might be full, but your body might still be hungry. So yeah. like we have to take advantage of what we have in our community. So starting our own gardens, seeing plots of land and, and thinking like, oh, okay, that might be a good spot to grow food. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I guess it like, it, it also puts uh, your mind in like an abundance mindset, you know, yeah. like recognizing that there is, there are ways to feed people when you're open to it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that our culture has uh, disconnected us from the source of our abundance and it is the earth. You know, I um, was listening in on a, a lecture over the weekend, um, Burners Without Borders, because I am an avid burning man, uh, goer although it won't be this year and um it's a fellow i forgot his name but he has a website it's called make soil and um i don't think it's an app it should be an app but it's a website and um basically it's a way for people to uh list their compost um bins their community compost bins uh, on the internet and so they can start collecting um neighborhood uh, organic waste but the, the awesome thing about the lecture he gave was he actually talked about, you know, how he's been doing community organizing for like 10 years and the most powerful thing he ever did. And he had a picture of it. He had made like a compost. Um, it was, you know, not anything fancy. It was just a couple of pallets with some, you know, maybe like chicken wire or something like this is the most powerful thing I ever did. I made this in his, in his uh, the kind of lawn area of his apartment building. He's like, I did it on a holiday when nobody was around and you know, I thought I could get away with it. And he just went door to door and invited his neighbors to add their compost, you know, their organic waste. And you know, at first they were just like, you just want my like banana peels? You know, so it was a very easy way to, to talk to people and people want to help, especially when they can help like just by giving you some garbage. Um, and so uh, they started making soil because that's, you know, the first thing you got to do when you start to grow food is, is you know, either buy soil, which is kind of how I grew up. Like, oh, you go to the garden center and buy soil. It's like, wait a second, how do they make soil? Maybe we should start there. Um, and then uh, he showed this picture of the vegetable garden um, that they grew in this apartment complex using the soil that they made and how it just kind of transformed their little community. And so, you know, that's the thing about the, the power of, um, of food and growing food and eating food and preparing food together to create connection. And so I just, um, I was blown away by that. Just so inspiring. Yeah. So it's all about basically getting crafty. We got to yeah. get crafty, work we with what we got. You what we have you know like we have so much i mean the, the very idea of waste um is uh, generally speaking a um it's a failure of imagination you know and also a um a ingratitude you know it's like there's so much um i see people all over charleston like putting things on the sidewalk you know, sofas and and just all sorts of things that are not they're not garbage, you know, yep. they're not ruined. They're still useful. Like all you have to do here is like call the, you know, the kidney foundation and they'll come pick it up from you. And so just this, um, the mindset that we, uh, that we are indoctrinated with in our culture of when you're done with it, you just, you know, you just, it's garbage and you just 
throw it away. And it's like, wait, let's, um, let's kind of re-examine that and connect, um, reconnect with where, um, where things come from and what the, what the true cost of things are, you know? And I think that's the thing for, for food, especially those of us, um, you know, who are advocating a, a plant-based diet, recognizing that, um, you know, if you want to be on the side of justice and, um, and, uh, you know, the, the wellness of the environment, um, you know, it's in, in most senses, that's completely inconsistent with eating uh, a diet that's, you know, full of, of meat and dairy. And so trying to, trying to connect people with, with what the alternative is, you know, it's easy to tell people what they shouldn't do. It's another thing to be able to, to tell them, you know, what to do instead and show them and show them in a way that is um, not intimidating and, and not judgmental. Uh, and that, um, yeah, can actually bring joy to their lives. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. And so like, like you said, to focus on what we don't want is kind of counterproductive. Like yeah. we really have to focus on, um, you know, how to make things better and tools that people can use. So that's really cool because that is the whole point. That's the whole point of this podcast series. And um, I really just want to thank you for taking time to talk with me because your information is so valuable to people out there because that's what we're doing. We're focusing on the change. We're creating a new system, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's so much energy being spent in my opinion, wasted railing against what's wrong with the current system. And I mean, I partake of that sometimes too. You just got to scream and shout every once in yep, a while. Get it out into a Facebook bickering match with somebody, but uh, ultimately um, the, the change we want to see has to come from positive action. That what, what are we doing, you know, to, to, um, to, to be the change we want to seed in the world is something I read recently. You know, it's like, just, I like that. Awesome. Oh. So good to talk to you, Austin. Thank you so much for this opportunity to, to share. Oh, thank you, Renee. Um, so just real quick, I wanted to uh, have you shout out your website and ways that people can get in touch with you for fundraising. And also, like you said, if people are looking for advice on how yeah. to help feed people. Um, yeah. What's all Absolutely. your contact info? Yeah. So the stonesoupcollective.com is our website. Uh, my email, if you send a, a contact form through the website, it'll come to me. But it's also Renee at the stonesoupcollective.com. We're on Facebook as the Stone Soup Collective CHS. Um, we're on Instagram. I think it's the Stone Soup Collective there, although I haven't posted on, on a while, in a while. <laughs> Get overwhelmed with the soup, uh, soup distribution and making. Um, yeah, so I'd be happy to, to talk to any of your listeners, viewers, uh, about how to get this started or some version of it. Right on. Awesome. Well, you heard it here. Go find the Stone Soup Collective online and reach out to Renee. She's really awesome. Renee, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Austin. I appreciate you too. Yo, thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're currently involved in a local project that strengthens the links in your local food supply chain, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at wakingjustice.org and tell us about your work. And if you want to learn more about local revolutionaries making evolutionary change in their communities, find us on your favorite podcast platform or head on over to wakingjustice.org to meet the team, check out more episodes, and learn more about the project. 
and to become a financial supporter of this podcast and to gain access to members-only content, visit patreon.com slash wakingjustice. And remember, the real revolution builds self-reliance and community resilience. That's because the real revolution is a local revolt. You must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. Justice is rising and it ain't just us, it's all of us. If it's our love.